There we go. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you this evening that we can gather together to consider your word together, to sing your praises together as your people, to hear your word read. Lord God, we thank you that, that you communicate so clearly to us about who you are in your word. Lord, we know that we are people who are prone to wander. We are people who are quick to move away from you, the one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who is kind to us and gives us so many good things. Lord God, we know that we are a, a people who our minds drift in our, in our thoughts and uh, in, in our affections go elsewhere regularly and often. Lord God, so this evening I pray as we consider uh, your word together for the next few minutes, Lord God, that you would cause us to be attentive. Lord God, that we would see very clearly who you are and the person of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Lord God, may we as, as your people continually be praising you. Lord God, we thank you for even opportunities such as this in small settings to, to continue to offer praise to you on a day that is set aside for you specifically. Lord God, would we find rest here, even in the words that we consider here in the Apostle Paul and the, the letter to the Galatians. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to uh, Galatians chapter 4 this evening. Galatians chapter 4, and we're just going to consider a few verses here, verses 4 through 7 in, in particular. I want to build a little bit tonight on the idea that John uh, brought to us this morning in his sermon uh, in Colossians chapter uh, 3, when we looked in, or 2, at the beginning of 2, or the end of 2 and beginning of 3. Uh, verses 20 through, uh, in chapter 2 through chapter 3, verse 4. The idea that John was really keying on in that text, and the idea that Paul really lays before the church in Colossae is the, the idea of union with Christ. What does it mean to be joined together with Christ specifically in a, in a intimate, in an intimate fashion? And this has a very practical outworking because when we talk about the Christian life, oftentimes we don't talk about union. Um, union is kind of a word that, uh, that sounds a little heady. It sounds a little theological. It sounds maybe a little ivory tower-ish. But the reality is one of the very, pra- the very most practical outworkings of the doctrine of the union with Christ comes to us in the idea of adoption. Uh, and so, uh, this text this evening is going to help us maybe unpack the idea of adoption a little bit as it, as it pertains to our own salvation, as it pertains to who we are in, John used this, in, uh, in relation to uh, what Paul says in Colossians, in Christ. John pointed it out this morning, the, the gospel writers, uh, the, the writers of the epistles in the New Testament don't use the word Christian. They use the word in Christ. We're tied together in Christ in a specific way. The word Christian means little Christ, and that was adopted later. An idea that, uh, that was that the, uh, the early church would be, um, they would be uh, imitators of Christ. And so they saw themselves as little Christs in, the, in their communities and in their culture at large. But for, uh, for the the apostles and those who wrote the New Testament, they saw a very specific joining together with Christ in a way that was the way that was meant to be extremely, extremely meaningful. So they wouldn't identify themselves in a way as little Christ. They would identify themselves in no way separate from Christ. 
uh, in Christ is the primary way that especially the Apostle Paul speaks. But this idea of adoption comes to us through through this text. So let's look at it together. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, and then we're going to walk through verse 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. <laughs> the, uh, the, the biggest concept here that we see is that of adoption. The idea that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So we have the incarnation here. Jesus Christ taking on flesh, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So there's a couple of ideas that are contained here that we have to get uh, in our brains before we start thinking about union with Christ. First, God had a plan. God has a plan when the fullness of time came. So, so we have the Old Testament. We have this, this full weight of everything that God says to his people and promises it all comes to fruition in Jesus Christ. And so we have this old covenant language where, uh, where God is progressively revealing who he is to his people. He's progressively revealing more and more of himself and what he intends to do uh, to his people. Uh, we, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, whether it might have been a Sunday morning, it might have been a Sunday evening, forgive me, um, but the idea of the covenant that God makes with his people. So in Genesis, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have this promise that is embedded in the curse. So uh, God says to the serpent that he is cursing the serpent, but within that, he promises to send one who is going to crush the head of the serpent and essentially bring to end the, the sin and death that came as a result of the deception that the serpent brought into when he deceived Eve, and then when Adam willfully disobeyed. Between those two events that happened, uh, there is a, a, a recognition then that, uh, that someone needs to come to redeem God's people from the curse of sin and the resulting death. So we have this covenant that God then makes with his, his people. Uh, in, in that particular case, only two people, Adam and Eve. Uh, but then their offspring grow up, and we have uh, more and more individuals filling the face of the earth. And then we see a covenant that God makes with Noah, that he's not going to destroy the earth with, a, with an epic flood like he does in, later in Genesis. And he hangs his war bow in the sky and says, here is the, uh, here is the sign of the covenant that I'm going to make with you. The, uh, the, the war bow is hung up and I will no longer exact judgment on my people in the way that I did here and now. And then as we move along, John talked about this morning Mount Sinai and the giving of the law through Moses. And, and the law comes to us, and the law is an extremely important part of this Galatians 4 text, where we see uh, that, that, uh, that uh, Jesus came 
verse 4. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So born under this Mount Sinai covenant that came. God revealing himself to his people uh, through the giving of the law. This is who I am. I, the Lord your God, am holy and therefore you also shall be holy. So we have this ongoing, this progressive nature of the covenant. And then we move into David, and David receives the the covenant uh, that his kingdom... I I skipped uh, over Abraham, I'm sorry. We go back to Abraham before Moses. We have Abraham, who uh, God promises them that his ancestors, his descendants, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then we have the Sinai covenant, and then we have David. And God tells David that he is going to uh, bring forth a, a, a kingdom, an imperishable kingdom, and that David's throne will reign forever, for all of eternity. There will be no end to the, the reign of the one who is uh, on David's throne. And so when we get to Genesis chapter or Galatians chapter 4, we have this very clear portrait of God's progressive revelation that all comes to a, a head then in the person of Jesus Christ. All of those things find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who crushes the head of the serpent. The one who will bring in all people from every t- tri- tribe, tongue, and language into God's people uh, through the grafting in of the, the Gentiles. Uh, the numerous stars in the sky become, are a result, the, the fulfillment of that promise is a result of Jesus opening up salvation, not just to the Jews, but to every single person. And then after that, we have uh, the Mosaic covenant where Jesus comes not to do away with the law, but to ultimately fulfill the law. And so when we get here, and then the throne that Jesus sits upon currently, which will, we're the position with which he will reign for, for all of eternity. So, where we stand right now, then, when we get to Galatians chapter 4, is that Paul has all of the weight of this behind him. And when he starts to speak here, or when he starts to communicate to the Galatians, he is going about to tell them something very specific. This Jesus Christ stands behind all of this. So, the fullness of time had come. Revelation had progressed and now had reached its final culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. God sends forth his son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, born under the law, and then to do what? To redeem those who were under the law. Now, that's an important phrase at the beginning of verse 5. This is an important phrase because what it does is it communicates to us justification. It communicates to us the idea that Jesus kept the law perfectly and therefore fulfilled the law perfectly. The law which we could not keep, the Mount Sinai that stands above us that is poised to crush us, like John said this morning, quoted out of Pilgrim's Progress, that Mount Sinai, that law that we love so much and think can redeem us, can't actually redeem us, and so we need someone to come and redeem us. So, to redeem those who are under the law, this is justification, Uh, we stand now before a holy God as those who have failed to keep the law, but are clothed in the righteousness of the one who did. This is the idea that's contained here. And then we get this, so that statement. Whenever you see the word so that in Paul, and anywhere in the Bible, you should take note, because this is the result. The result of our justification, the result of our sin being absolved, 
the result through the blood of Jesus, the result of us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and standing before a holy God who now says to us, welcome, the result of that is that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, in the New Testament, especially in these places that Paul was writing letters to, especially Galatia, uh, adoption would probably be a little bit different than we think about it. So adoption um, for someone in first century would have been, if you were childless, say that you didn't have any children, but you had an estate, who would that go to? And that was the question. And so they would, a family would find a, a husband and wife would find a healthy young male to adopt. They would find someone who, uh, who could carry on the, the, the line and who would inherit then everything that would be passed down from his father once the adoption was final uh, in order that uh, that name would continue. That's the way that they think about adoption. We think about adoption a little bit differently. We think of typically about orphans and we think about uh, the care of them. Now that's a, obviously an explicit command given to us in Scripture that we should care for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner. All of those things are what justice is according to to Scripture. But the adoption as sons here uh, is showing us that God welcomes in individuals not like we welcome in individuals. We welcome individuals, the ones who are strong, the ones who are financially secure, the ones who uh, we like to look at and spend time with because we think they're cool and because they wear cool clothes and, and say cool things. But this is not the adoption that Paul is, is talking about. Paul is talking about an adoption uh, that is meant for everyone. That the justification that men and women receive in Christ, the first and primary benefit of the gospel is the adoption as sons. The ability to call God our Father. The ability to look at believers on our left and our right and to call them brothers and sisters. And all of the sudden, this entire idea of family gets flipped on its head. John poked at a few things this morning in our North Dakota culture, be kind, work hard. Those are things that, that, uh, that we often think about when we think about being a good, a good North Dakotan. Um, another one that, uh, that typically comes up over and over again in our culture, not just North Dakota, but, but in our culture at large, is the idea of family. And Paul immediately challenges the idea of family as being something that runs deeper than blood. It's something that moves, and we're going to see this in the next, well, next week Mark is going to preach, and then after that we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. We're going to see this in John's prologue. Because in John's prologue, what he will write next is, he, did, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people were of Jewish heritage. These were men and women who descended directly from Abraham. But the blood that would flow through the veins of the individuals who Jesus would redeem was not limited to the blood that flowed through Abraham's veins, but to every single person who walked the face of the earth. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the, doesn't say privilege, it says he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so all of the sudden, through justification that comes through Jesus Christ, we're out of talking about privileges, and we're into things that are now rights. Rights come to family members. Rights come to men and women who have something that runs deeper or have something more deeply in common than just that we get together in the same room week after week. And so we see here then that the primary benefit of the justification that we receive in Jesus Christ, the primary benefit of the gospel for the believer is adoption, is the adoption as sons. And then in verse 6, look at verse 6. And because you are sons, so now he's going to unpack this, privilege, or this, uh, this, uh, this benefit to us. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now this is union. Okay? This is the idea of union. Because everything that Christ gets, you get. So this is the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. As Paul would say in the book of Romans. The very same, or the same spirit that raises Christ from the dead now dwells in us and unites us with the person of Jesus Christ. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So now we have the ability to go to God and to call him our Father. Whereas we did not have that right before. In fact, we were of a different father entirely. Satan was our father until God welcomed us into his family through the person of Jesus Christ. Through justification, now we receive the adoption as sons and have the ability to go to God through the Holy Spirit and say, Abba, Father. A term of endearment. Not a term that is, uh, not one that is rigid. We don't go and say, Captain. We don't say, um, King. We say, Abba, Father. And then another benefit in verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And this is the idea that we'll, the concept that we'll, we'll wrap up with. The idea being here that an inheritance comes to us. We don't just get a title. We don't just get a, a role as son and daughter of the Most High God we actually receive an inheritance, and that inheritance is life. When we think about in the, in the, in the past, uh, especially for the nation of Israel, whenever we talk about inheritance, we talk about land. We talk about a, a, a promised land given to God's people. And that's always tied together with the promise. There's always something about land there. When we get the New Testament, Jesus says very clearly, he says, foxes have holes and Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And so if the promises of God come to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, then what does this inheritance look like? And it looks like 
an eternal dwelling place. Not one that's realized here, not one that's realized right now, but one that is prepared for us, that Jesus has gone to make a way for us to get to, or Jesus has made a way for us to get to and has, is preparing even now. If we consider what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that, uh, that uh, this, he likens this earthly body to a tent. And then he says that there is a dwelling place. I better get the actual language right here. Chapter 5, verses 1 through, say, 5-ish. For we know, that if the tent, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. What's better than a tent? A building, right? A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is our inheritance. This is exactly what is our inheritance. For in this tent we groan, this tent right now, this earthly body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Now this is an eschatological text too, and we're not going to dive into all of those implications. But the reality is, well, let's read on. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the Spirit that dwells inside of us, that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 4, is uh, crying through us, crying out, Abba, Father, uh, and we go to God, who... And who, uh, who is our Father and who has prepared an inheritance for us and who has given us the Holy Spirit as his guarantee. And so the takeaway is simple, I think, this evening. The takeaway is, uh, this is an identity. When we think about who we are as people, we oftentimes label ourselves as something. Husband, father, um, that would be pastor, those would be labels that I would apply to myself. Jovi, you might say that you are a daughter or a sister, right? Or a student. Those would be labels that you apply to yourself. But the reality is the the most important thing that we can say about ourselves is that we are joined with Christ and that we are in Christ. And that these benefits that Christ received uh, are the benefits that come to us and come to us directly. So if you're here and you're wondering, if you're thinking to yourself, what does God think about me? What does God think about who I am? You don't need to look any farther than what he says about the person of Jesus Christ. That's all the further that you have to look. And that's what I'll leave you with this evening. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the adoption that we've received, the justification that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord God, as we consider that this week, Lord God, may we as your people see so clearly that there is no way that we could keep the law in a way that would be sufficient to receive these benefits. God, would we see so clearly that every step of the way, every promise that you made, could only come to fruition, not through our best efforts, but through the person of Jesus Christ. God, and may that cause us to rejoice because in Christ, we have been joined together intimately with you. You have given us the spirit of Christ as a guarantee in order that we might see clearly that the inheritance 
of life is given to us. God, we thank you for the dwelling place that you've provided for us. God, we pray as we go from this place, God, that that would be on our minds and our hearts with consistency and with regularity this week. God, may we love you more. May you stir our affections for you more deeply. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John, you know what to do.